This podcast is brought to you by JBL. Employing the best methods and tools, audio technology is at the core of everything JBL creates. Never straying from a ground-up approach to everything they build, JBL has produced a prolific list of audio achievements, groundbreaking technologies, and revolutionary advances in the art and science of professional audio. JBL, passion for sound and those who create it. Learn more at JBL.com. Hello and welcome to Tape Ops Discussion, where we call our friends and music community notables to chat about their favorite records. Enjoy. What's up, brother? How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm just... Uh, I got this little dog with me, if that's not a problem. Oh, man, that's awesome. Her name is Petra. We didn't name her, but um, she's really cute. She's like half terrier, half chihuahua. She's like a little baby. All, all she wants to do is um, eat carrots and sit on my lap, which is pretty good. Welcome to Discussion. I'm Jeff Stanfield, and today we have Connor Oberst discussing REM's 1986 release, Life's Rich Pageant. I'm stoked that you wanted to, to chat about REM's Life Rich Pageant. Yeah. This record came out when I was a junior in high school, and it was absolutely one of my favorite records. I wore this cassette out. Why did you choose this one? Well, okay, full disclosure, um, not to be dropping uh dropping names or anything, but um I'm <laughs> I'm friends with I'm friends with REM. I met Michael when I was I think nineteen or twenty when I, I had some good friends, um this guy Andy Lamaster who's worked on like all the Bright Eyes records, but who lives in Athens and uh I remember meeting Michael at the 40 watt, he uh, he had a hooded sweatshirt on and he came up to me and he said, he like looked me in the eye, he, you know, he knew I was there, like I was friends with Andy, whatever. And he goes, boo. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first introduction to him. And then, you know, proceeded to like give me a hug. And they were like one of the first bands that took Bright Eyes on like a real arena tour. And Michael's always been like a big brother to me. He, I mean, he's such a gracious, generous person, but he, uh, you know, is one of those people you can call up if you have any questions about the music industry or any, just anything going on in your life that is sort of challenging from being like a musician. Uh, he, he's always been that sort of mentor to me and is just sweet as the day is long. He's so, he's so awesome. And I got, I got real close with Peter. I, I went down and did his uh, festivals in Mexico a couple times and Mike Mills. I never really got to know Bill Berry because by the time we were touring with him, which would have been 2004, 2005, you know, he was out of the band. But um, but for me, like the early stuff, Chronic Town and Murmur obviously are awesome, but they're kind of mysterious and murky. And then like you get, you know, into a later period of like green and obviously out of time and automatic for the people when they kind of became superstars, which are great record. I mean, all REM records are great. I, I remember even the last, I think the last one 
has a song leaving New York. I mean, they'll always have like some great songs on it, but for my personal fandom, that sort of middle period of Fables of the Reconstruction, Leicester's Pageant, Document, that sort of middle period is like my my favorite. And it's it's so weird because it's like, you know, I feel like they get lumped in a little bit with like 80s new wave, you know, like Talking Heads or B-52s, which are great bands, but they always had like kind of a goofy streak, you know, which I feel like never, like R.E.M. never had that. You know, they were kind of like, the thinking man's new wave or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I think is so interesting about them is they're like uncopyable. Like if you think about like that segment of bands of like the late 80s, 90s, you know, I'm thinking of Nirvana and Radiohead and Pearl Jam. It's like, think about all the clone bands that sound exactly like Radiohead or sound exactly like Pearl Jam or sound exactly like Nirvana. You can't copy R.E.M. There are two like, Iconoclasts, they're too fucking weird. You like, yeah. you just can't copy them. That's a, that's a good point. And your your point about that middle period is so interesting because Life's First Pageant came along and, you know, it's a little more muscular sounding record. Like it, it's a little less indie rock, you know, um, it's a little more focused in terms of its mix. I felt like it was a better platform in a lot of ways for um, Michael Stipe's lyrics and to sort of reach a larger audience because it was a little bit more polished in a way you know yeah. well i was i was i i take my job seriously so i was doing some research in preparation <laughs> for this interview but uh this guy i hadn't really ever heard of but uh the guy that produced it don gaiman yeah apparently his big claim to fame is working with like john cougar Mellencamp, which is and then his other his other big ones are like hootie and the blowfish and like blues traveler you know it's like kind of like that kind of 90s alternative whatever radio rock um so it was obviously like you know i feel like rem was one of those bands that started off as such just a weird art band and then obviously their their fame and their their just badassness like kind of eclipsed them in the sense of i'm sure they were getting drug into meetings with warner brothers or whoever and being like why don't you work with this guy Right. You know what I mean? Like they were, yeah. they were like a weird alternative band, but they were getting sucked into the mainstream. And I, I gotta imagine, since it's the only record they made with him, I gotta imagine that uh, that is probably how it happened. Um, I actually tried to make a record with this guy Scott Litt, who made, uh, who made Document with him, uh, with them, but uh, it didn't work out. Um, a bunch of reasons but I was at the time this is my uh my solo record in what it was that 2014 upside down mountain anyway I tried to start recording it with him because I love documents much 
Yeah. But it just didn't pan out. But uh, yeah, that was. Yeah. But document is a, it go kind of document kind of goes back to fables tones a little. It's a little, it's a little murkier and darker sounding. It's a little less sort of shiny, you know? And then I, I forget what record came after that, but that was. Uh, well, then they did green, which was yeah. the first kind of like real major label breakthrough. And then, yeah, I mean, after that, it was like fucking mega. Yeah, it was like green and then into like uh, Out of Time, which was their biggest record ever. And, right. and Automatically People, which still totally stands up. I actually like this record that they put out. I can't remember what year it was, but a later one called Up, which I really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just like one of those bands. They always they always kept it. I mean, they always had like great songs on their records, but. Yeah, the ones that are like nostalgic to me, like my older, my my oldest brother, my brother Maddie, like, you know, he is the one who kind of introduced me to like alternative music. So like I would, he lived in the attic and I would crawl up there and he'd have, you know, he had his walls were covered with like R.E.M. and Cure posters and Smiths and I would like sneak up there and listen to his cassette tapes. And yeah, and it's like, that's like, you know, that's like deep nostalgia for me, like old R.E.M. Yeah, I think one of the things that that struck me about this, I haven't listened to this record in probably 20 years, honestly. Um, and I put it on when you when you when you uh, when you mentioned it and and um, I knew every single word. And I, and it was just absolutely amazing to me just how great the lyrics on this record are. I mean, there's a there's a line and, and not not just how great they are, but how relevant they still are. And I think that's an amazing gift as a lyricist um, to be able to write something in 1986. And, and one of the lyrics that really like struck me that was so relevant today was this, that, that line in um, These Days where he says, we are young despite our years, we are concerned. And then he says, we are hope despite the times. Yeah. So good. kind of um you can you know it's so surreal and so kind of it has the potential to kind of be like word scramble like where it's mm -hmm. so abstract but knowing michael i actually i texted him like two days ago telling him i was gonna do this podcast and i was i said i was like i've just been listening to Leicester's pageant he's like you know don't go down that rabbit hole too far or whatever but it, <laughs> but uh yeah he, it's just like he's yeah, he's one of my favorite lyricists because he he manages to walk this tightrope of, you know, like I said, like surrealist imagery and out of this world expressions of the language. But at the same time, there's like if you're if you're willing to um, take the time to really listen to it, it's got a lot of clarity and a lot of and I, you know, I know him. I know it's, none of it's like unintentional. None of it's like just uh you know waxing poetic or whatever it's like it's he intended something but he just chose to use 
bizarro language to express it, which is why it's so, I think, so interesting and so cool. You know, let's talk about some of the some of the tunes on this record that yeah. you know are your that are your favorites. I certainly have mine. Right out the gates, like begin to begin. That joint is so, so fucking awesome. I I kind of like through and through. I just feel like it's it's so stacked with just such great songs um the, there's something about the tempos that even though they got into songs that were a little kind of more mainstream on this record the tempos still harken back to some of that early, those early records like radio free europe and totally and uh you know tune, tunes like these days and i believe yeah. and just a touch and they just have this like they have a real punk rock spirit to those tempos even though they're real accessible you know? i'm looking at it now yeah begin the begin obviously amazing these days amazing follow me like i also love um i think one of the things that they do so well is um like mike mike mills uh contribution of like the counter melodies oh yeah so they'll have like a you know they'll have a full melody going on and then mike mills will come in with like it, it reminds me of um one of my i love jackson brown but one of my mm. favorite uh one of my favorite jackson brown songs off his first record um it's called from silver lake it comes in with this counter melody that's almost like a it's almost like two songs happening at once you know right there's really and I, I feel like rem i mean follow me is like a perfect example of that where it's like when mike mills part comes in it just uh I don't know. It just carries it into this like different stratosphere where it's so interesting, and you're you're kind of like forced to listen to like two songs at once, which is mm -hmm. just really fucking cool. And I've always loved. I always thought Mike Mills had like a beautiful voice. Research for this interview, I didn't realize that uh, Superman is a cover. Yeah, exactly. I, that it's band The Click, apparently. Who I don't, yeah. I don't know who they are, but uh, I gotta assume they're like an '80s new wave band or something. But um, it was, uh, and then I was thinking about it. And I'm like, of course that's a cover because that doesn't sound anything like an REM song, even though it's right. a great catchy song. But it's, it's not. It's yeah. so, it's so direct and so not obscure like all rem songs are so mm -hmm. i thought that's that, a good point i thought yeah. that was interesting i am 
Um, how do you see it showing up in in uh, what you do? I mean, I've always been influenced by them. Like I said, my my brother, my brother Maddie's no longer with us, but he uh, just had great taste in music. So I was like a ten year old kid that was hip to the Replacements and REM and Cure, and I remember his friends coming over to the house watching 120 minutes that mm. show on MTV, you know, yeah. and they would always record it on the VHS. And yeah. I would like, you know, it was like past my bedtime, but my parents would let me come down and sort of hang out with my brother's friends and yeah, watch all these cool videos. So that is, that was my exposure to sort of underground music or whatever. And, uh, so yeah, REM's always held a huge place in my heart as far as just, yeah, I just, I've li been listening to them my whole life basically. And then, like I said, when I got older and started my band, you know, getting to meet Michael and then getting, you know, them asking my band to go on tour, it just was like a dream come true. You know, it was just like, wow, like coolest band in the world asher band to go and do with them like You're right like how weird is this you know and like it didn't yeah i didn't really understand it at the time but i you know i appreciated it in the sense of like they were like i said they were just so generous and so um you know just i don't know always and they didn't have to they could have been rock star assholes but they were like treat us like peers and were so sweet to us and made us feel like we belong there. And that, you know, that changed my life. When I was young and full of grace and spirited a rattlesnake. When I was young and fever fell my spirit. I will not tell you on your honor. Thanks for listening. Discussion is created by Tape Op, the creative music recording magazine. Free subscriptions are available at tapeop.com along with our regular podcast and online content.